You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. 2 Corinthians doesn't make much sense until you realize that Paul is responding in so much of this letter to false teachers who have come into the church uh, there at Corinth. And and these false teachers are, are proud, they're intoxicated by their own ego, their own abilities, and they're pointing out to the church in Corinth all the weaknesses of Paul all of the vulnerabilities of Paul, all the lackings in, in Paul while he's away from Corinth. They would say things earlier like, we have recommendation letters from others. Do you, Paul? Oh, you don't? Uh, we're excellent speakers and we're, we're excellent orators. Are, are you, Paul? Because some people say that you're not that great when it comes to speaking. We have lived these blessed lives of ease Have you lived that life, Paul? Oh, you've been imprisoned? You've been shipwrecked? You've been beaten? We're in great shape and we're very capable physically. Are are you, Paul? Oh, you're not much to look at? And these false teachers were very fluent in their own greatness. And they were building their lives upon self-promoting, upon these extravagant claims And sadly, the church there in Corinth was falling for it. Some in the church were starting to see Paul as a weakling, as a nothing. And Paul wishes, kind of, to correct that. He's going to correct it in what theologians call the foolish passages of 2 Corinthians. But this does not mean what you think it might mean. Paul says, let me be foolish for just a little bit, for just a moment, and that foolishness is going to be boasting. We're going to get a running start into this. I'm going to read a big chunk of of scripture this morning with with no commentary. Okay, with a little commentary. But if you don't mind turning with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is where we've been this summer. Today's our last day in this series. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start right there in the middle of that chapter, verse 16. And again, this is, this is Paul. He's going to be foolish for a moment as he's writing. And his foolishness is bragging. His foolishness is his boasting. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me begin in verse 16. I hope you have your Bible with you. You can share it with someone next to you. It's always on the screen behind me as well. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. In other words, I'm not going to talk like Jesus would talk. I'm going to be foolish here for a little bit. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too, I'm going to boast. I will boast. For you gladly, Corinthians, you bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For if you bear it, if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on errors or strikes you in the face, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever else, but what anyone else dares to boast of, and I'm speaking of a fool here, this is, this is, this is the, the modern day vernacular of Paul saying, I know I sound crazy when I say this. I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. <laughs> 
I'm talking like a madman, he says here. And I know this sounds so crazy. I am a better servant of Christ because, listen, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, which means 195 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Kind of loses a little bit in translation there. Once I was stoned, meaning I was hit with stones. Three times I was, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. Verse 28 is the favorite scripture of all pastors. And apart from all those things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. In other words, I've been beaten with rods. That's nothing. I'm also a pastor and I have to worry about all the churches. Verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to to fall and I'm not indignant? Verse 30, I underlined. I think you might want to in your Bible. This is the the crux. This is is the, 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 the major scripture of chapter 11, maybe the major scripture, the entire back half of 2 Corinthians. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who he who is blessed forever, he knows that I'm not lying. In fact, at Damascus, the, the governor uh, under King Aretas was, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now, Paul, here at the very end of chapter 11, is showing the, the foolishness of boasting. He is showing the foolishness of pride. Now it gets really interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, let me just tell you right now, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. I'll unpack that in a second. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, talking about himself, was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things, this man, speaking of himself, heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. That's weird, so let me unpack that for you, make sure we're on the same page. This is Paul, speaking of himself, 14 years prior to him writing this letter of 2 Corinthians. The phrase third heaven sounds so mystical, so mysterious, but for the ancient man, the the first heaven was the atmosphere around the earth, the second heaven was the stars, the the planets, the sun. The third heaven was, was, if you will, the abode of God. It, It was God's heaven. It's why the psalmist would worship God in the highest heaven. He would worship God in, if you will, the third heaven. And so that's not some really odd metaphysical term. It just means where, where God is. God took me to where he is. Paul is saying here, I really could have boasted in that revelation, by the way, because I was shown things, verse four, that human words cannot even capture. Paul has, has seen things and can hardly articulate the brilliance and the glory of the things that God showed him. Now, Paul could have boasted in this very unique spiritual experience he had in the third heaven, but he saved them, the most unique one here for last, saying, I could have boasted in all these things. And here's the key passage. 
It is Paul, he's about, what he's about to say, this is the key passage, not only for today, really this is the mountaintop of 2 Corinthians. And I would say it's one of the grandest passages in all of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let's just pick it up here in verse five. On behalf of this man, speaking of the man that saw the revelation, speaking of himself, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. We'll get there in a second. Except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, speaking about that third heaven, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, about the thorn, that that it, the thorn should leave me. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The oddity of, of verse five, this is Paul kind of talking about that man that, that got called up to the third heaven, but then he also talks about himself. What Paul is doing, he's putting distance between himself and himself. Stay with me. Paul had himself who could boast, who could brag of all these things that he has endured for the sake of the gospel. He could boast, he could brag that he had this special revelation from God, that he was called up into heaven, called up, we see here, into paradise, God's place. But what he's actually saying here is that person could brag, but I'm also learning in my own life that that, that boasting outside of anything than Jesus Christ and his cross is actually folly. So I'm not gonna boast about all these things that I've seen. I could boast, but I'm not gonna boast except in Christ Jesus himself. Paul, of course, could, could brag. He's the greatest of all the apostles. He planted more churches than any other apostle. He, he traveled farther than any other apostle. He has written about half of the New Testament. He had every reason that he could boast, but it says here in verse six, Paul's boasting would, would be truth-telling, but truth alone was not the reason that, that Paul wanted to boast in himself. This is how Paul thinks of himself, even after all these experiences we read about in, in chapter 11, being shipwrecked, being, being beaten, um, being imprisoned, being lowered from a wall in a basket from a wall because his life was at stake. And it really shows in this passage how you and I should think of ourselves. There is so much here in this passage. This is so rich. I I wish I had three hours today to to preach this to you. I'm just gonna take two hours instead. But I I do have five things that I want you to see here. Actually, it's one question and and four truths. I'm gonna encourage you maybe to write down in some notes. I, I think this might even be worthy of you writing down in the back of your Bible because this is such a rich passage and and right where we are in 2023 as the people of God. And I put all of these in first person so that you could own these points and own this question yourself. Here's the first question, point number one, how restrained am I in my boasting? How restrained am I in my boasting? Do we restrain ourselves so that others might see the power of God in me? 
Or are we living with our lives and our names on, on display for everyone to, to see, our abilities on display? What we want, Highland, we want people to look at our lives and see Jesus, not look at us and see us. People can't look at us and see Jesus and all they see is just us and our accomplishments and the boastings of things in, in our lives. We don't want people's faith to rest upon our eloquence. We don't want people's faith to, to, to be founded on, on our abilities or, or to rest upon our boasting. We want people's faith to rest upon the power of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. So Paul, what he does here, he puts a leash on his boasting, a restraint. You see this in the middle of verse six. I refrain from boasting or refrain from it so that no one thinks more of me than they actually see in me or hear from me. We don't want people to have this assessment of us that's not accurate. We don't want people to think of us in this certain way and we're not actually that way. So our, our boasting often gets in the way of, of how other people see us and how desperate all of us in this house really are for Jesus. But if all we do is boast about ourselves and boast about our achievements and boast about our abilities, then people are gonna start putting their faith in us and resting on us and our achievements. This is what Paul does not want to do. So Highland, listen, we want to close the gap between what we say and who we really are. But as we close that gap, we want to make sure we're closing it as we lean toward godliness, as we lean toward Christ's likeness. By the way, this is how a church won't become a show. If we're always closing that gap between our reputation and who we really are. It also prevents everybody in this house, if we will close that gap, we won't be like the people of Sardis that Jesus wrote about in Revelation chapter three, verse one, when he said, oh, you have a reputation of being alive, but in actuality, you're dead. You know, the Father never wastes a single experience in our lives. And I look at a room like this and think of all the experiences that all of us have had collectively in this room. God never wastes a single experience in our lives. God uses weaknesses in our lives for one thing. We see this actually listed twice in, in verse seven. I hope your Bible's still open. Twice, Paul says this, to keep me from being conceited. He says it at the beginning of verse seven. He says it at the end of verse seven. So you have these two bookends in this one verse and everything in between is what God is gonna do to keep us from pride, to keep Paul from pride, to keep keep you from pride to keep me from pride, which is the second point, and some of you are not going to like it, but here it is. God is committed to my humility. He is set on his people being humble. And this is just like God, isn't it? We need God. We want God. You may not think it in your flesh, but you're going to have to believe it in your spirit. We want God to be committed to our humility because God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. God hates pride. Pride is that distinguishing mark of, of the enemy. Pride is that tendency that we all have in this, in this room to compete with God for control over our lives. Pride is this desire that you and I wanna be the kings and the queens of our own lives. Pride is this rebellion against the one true living God. And God hates it. God hates pride with a holy hate. So God's purposes in Paul's weakness here, this, this thorn that he mentions, was to keep Paul from, from becoming so full of himself. 
And again, this may sound like bad news to you, but this is actually the goodness of God towards you that God is committed to your humility. And God is gonna use two things. He does in the life of Paul, he will in your life as well. God's gonna use two things to keep you and I appropriately lowly before him. And the first, unfortunately, is suffering. Point three is this, God uses suffering to keep me clinging to him. God will use suffering in your life to keep you clinging to him. We see in verse seven this thorn that's mentioned. It's a thorn given in the flesh. It was something that, that Paul felt. I don't want you to miss this. It was a messenger from Satan. What was the purpose? To harass him. To keep Paul from becoming puffed up with arrogance. To prevent Paul from, from living in, in pride. And, and if you've been in church long enough, you know that many a theologian has many an idea on what this thorn is. I compiled a list from all the commentaries and all the authors. And these are all different thoughts on what that thorn is in verse seven. The thorn was headaches. It was lust. It was eye problems. It was epilepsy. It was Malta fever. It was malaria, some people say. One author said it was a loss of hair. I mean, that's a problem, but I'm not sure it quite reaches messenger of Satan problem. Hypochondria, gallstones, gout, rheumatism, sciatica, leprosy. One said lice in the head, which is not a problem if hair loss is the problem. <laughs> Deafness, dental infection, and stuttering. Wow. And you all know this in this room well enough. If there's that much speculation is that wide, all of these are wrong. <laughs> we don't know specifically what the thorn is, and I think that's actually a very kind gesture from the Lord. Because if it was a labeled thorn, we would walk right through this passage if we didn't have that thorn. But instead, he kind of leaves it very general for us, although Paul does tell us, the Holy Spirit does give us in this passage what the thorn is, at least generally speaking. But there's five things that the thorn is. If your eyes want to just go down to verse 10, we see the five thorns, the five things that are thorns for us. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. So let me give you some examples of what the thorn could be in your flesh. Chronic illness, a disability, a difficult relationship that you're not making difficult, pain, physical pain, emotional pain, maybe an unfulfilled desire to be married, to have kids, to have a promotion, to have a new job, to be in charge. Maybe the thorn is a spiritual attack. Maybe it's cancer or migraines or MS or Parkinson's or a handicap. A thorn is something that chooses you. It's not that you chose it. It's something that chose you and that, that thorn has caused you pain. It has caused you grief. It has caused you suffering. So let's be very clear. Scripture is not talking right here by using the terminology of a thorn of consequences of our sin. This is not something that we have done to ourselves. This is something that's been done to us. And what is the source of the thorn? I know it says here it's a messenger from Satan, but ultimately, and this is gonna rock some of your theologies, but ultimately, God is the one who sends the thorn. 
Even if it is arriving from the enemy, it is sovereignly controlled by God. God was using even Satan to use a Godward purpose. And all that happens to Paul happens under God's sovereign rule. It is true for every Christian in this house as well. Everything that happens to you, the thorn that comes is under God's sovereign rule. So in other words, every pain is not necessarily punishment. Have you ever thought before that the most intense trial that you've gone through, the most difficult suffering suffering season that you've had, you've experienced, may just be God's way of keeping you to himself? How about this? God's not rejecting you, he's protecting you. God opposing the proud is actually a grace. It's not, it's not a punishment. I, I don't want to be in charge of my life. I don't know about you. I don't want to be in charge of my own life. So thank Jesus for the thorns that keep us clinging to the one we truly most need. Four, God sometimes does more for me by giving to me, giving less to me. Sometimes God actually does more for me. I'm putting this in first person for you to hold on to. God sometimes does more for me by giving, uh, giving less to me. Paul experienced these unanswered prayers. We see it here in, in verse eight. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it, meaning the thorn, should, should leave me. And whatever this thorn was in the life of Paul, it must have really hurt because Paul pleads with him. The, the Greek word there for plead, uh, parakaleo, means to, to call someone over while you're in great pain. So if you can imagine slipping off of a, of, of a curb and, and, and breaking an ankle or, or, or falling and not being able to, to get up and you're, you're calling someone over, you're in pain, you're, you're in difficulty, you cannot help yourself, that's the, that's the Greek word. Paul is calling, calling the Lord over with much emotion. And Paul pleads with the Lord, but God does not grant Paul the answer that he wants from this prayer. You know, sometimes God's refusals are actually the kindness of God that's keeping us from a deeper regret. Sometimes there are worse things that can happen to us than unanswered prayer, like Pride. And it's good to to ask this question. What would have happened to Paul if God would have taken away that thorn? Have you thought about that before? More than likely, the very pride that God was keeping Paul away from, that same pride would have overtaken Paul. So it's worthy sometimes for you and I to ask ourselves, what unforeseen bad thing might happen to me if God grants me this thing I keep asking him for? We don't think about our prayers in this way. You and I, when we pray, we, we assume we're praying the best for us. When you and I pray, we pray as if we're um, all wise and all knowing and all powerful. When you and I pray for things, we think we're praying the very best for us. But instead, we pray to a God who does know the best and who sees the very end from the beginning. And God will often look at his children and will say, no, child. If I give you this thing you keep asking for, you will end up in a spiritual wreck. Sometimes God keeps us from a worse thing by denying us a good thing. And God says to us, and you may be here today, God will say to you in your unanswered prayer, whatever that might be, 
for this thorn in your life to be taken away, sometimes God will answer with this simple phrase. You see it at the very beginning of verse nine. My grace is sufficient for you. In the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of that, that thorn, in the middle of the, the persecution, the calamity, the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, God's grace is sufficient for you. Now, let me just ask you rhetorically, can, can you believe that? Not just do you believe that for Paul, but do you believe that for you? If you feel some weaknesses in, in your life, can you hang on with hands of faith that God's grace really is sufficient for you? That God's kindness is, is enough for you. His grace is sufficient. It is not insufficient. There's no end to the inexhaustible storage of God's kindness towards you. There's no point where God runs out of grace for you. There's no point ever in your life where God will run out of his kindness and his care for you. He will always keep you no matter the weakness you're facing. In the middle of verse nine, for my power, Jesus says, is made perfect in weakness. You see, that is the sufficiency of his grace, that his power is made perfect, his power made perfect in you, even in the middle of your weakness. Leads to my fifth and final point. God's glorious power comes to rest on my weaknesses. Whatever that thorn might be for you or will be one day for you, Whatever that weakness is for you right now or that weakness will be for you one day, God loves to settle his glorious power right on top of your weaknesses. So at the very moment you feel most exhausted and wasted and spent and unable and limited and crushed there, it is there in that place that God's power is perfected in us. And his power comes and it rests upon us in the middle of our weaknesses. We see this at the beginning of verse 10, for the sake of of Christ, for the sake of Christ, in other words, for the glory of Christ, for, for the praise of Christ, for the treasuring of Christ, for the splendor of Christ, for the fame of Christ, Paul says, I'm going to embrace my weakness. See what it says in the middle of verse 10? I am content. I am okay with my thorn. I'm okay with my difficulty. I'm okay with this sickness. I'm okay with my weakness. And this is such folly to the natural mind. If you were to declare to Waco, declare to your place of work, declare to your family, I'm okay with my weakness. I'm okay with my thorn. I'm okay with this persecution. The world would think you mad because we want to escape insults. You and I, we want to escape difficulty. We want to get away from hardship. But that is where God locates his glory, right in the middle of our difficulty. And don't you see Christ in this passage? Christ embraced our weaknesses. And didn't he go to the very end of his weakness, even to the point of death on the cross? And there God's glorious power rested on him. And Christ died. And hell celebrated. Until three days later, in a cemetery, a place of weakness, God would display his glorious power, power to redeem us from sin and, and to rob hell from its souls. There, in an empty tomb, God displays his glory. Christ in his frail humanity saw God's glory and power rest upon him and it's the same with us when we embrace weakness. 
This is the antithesis to the American way to embrace our difficulties, to be content with suffering, but it's there that God's glory and God's power will settle in on our lives. God's power made perfect in our weakness. Would you stand with me, please? So what's yours? What's your weakness? What's your difficulty? What's your struggle? Not something that you chose because of poor choices, but something that chose you. Would you be willing today to be content with difficulty, to be content with the thorn? Today, could you embrace your weakness? And in doing so, know that it is driving you to, to know the Lord more, to press into him, to, to cling to him, knowing that in your difficulty, and if you are experiencing a thorn in this season or a thorn that you will experience in the season ahead, what if that thorn is there to keep you from becoming conceited and arrogant and filled with pride because God opposes the proud? I don't know about, about you, but there's no one else in this universe. I, I, don't, want, I don't want God opposing me. I think I can handle almost any other opposition. I don't want God opposing me because of my arrogance. I want him giving me grace because I'm choosing humility even in the middle of the weaknesses. So we're gonna sing about this Christ in whom we have found our hope. This Christ who allows the weak, praise God, to become strong in him. And here'd be my challenge for, for you today. Would you be willing and I understand this is fully upside down from our culture. Would you be willing to come and kneel before the Lord and to thank him for the thorn? To thank him for the weakness? To thank him for the difficulty? The hurt, would you thank him? God, thank you for this thorn. It has kept me clinging to you. It is driving me away from independence and driving me toward dependence upon the Father. And I know that's quite a challenge to thank him for the thorn. We'll have some staff members here at the front also. If you want to come and pray with us, we'd love to pray with you and pray over you. Let's sing. And won't you please come?